Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border, border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. I didn't do that. Good morning. So good to, to be here with you guys and uh, to uh, be a part of, of a special day. Um, as, as Todd said, I, I'm currently serving in the Navy Reserves, so I'm a reservist uh, assigned to the Pentagon. That sounds a lot cooler than it really is. Um, it's really not that cool. <laughs> um, my wife and I and our kids, we went out to uh, dinner a couple weeks ago at, the, at uh, Bonefish. They had on a polo shirt that had this, this emblem, and it said Joint Staff Pentagon. And the uh, host, host guy, he goes, what is that? And I says, well, it, it's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And he says, what's that? And I says, well, you know, you have the president, you have the secretary of defense, you have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. He goes, oh, is that you? <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. I'm only one of about 2,500 people that work for him. So, I'm, you know, you know there's, there's, this is the top of the podium pole. I'm, I'm way down here, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> you, know, you know, growing up um, in the big city of, of Danville, Arkansas, uh, I know I've got a fellow Dan, Danvillian here, Sam, uh, that we met this morning. Uh, my grandfather was a World War II vet. My dad served in the Army. Uh, you know, Memorial Day was just a holiday, right? It, it, it just, just another day. You had a long weekend. Maybe you were out of school or whatever. had a barbecue, went to the lake. But as I became an adult and as I uh, joined the military um, and, and then and even went to combat and lost friends, it, it took on a whole new meaning. And, and I know for many of you, um, today is, is a, it's, it's, a, it's bittersweet is what it is. It's a, it's a day of remembrance, uh, to reflect, uh, to think on, on all of those that, that have sacrificed so much for us. You know... I think many times we take for granted uh, that we live in this, in this nation. Uh, only about four people that are born in this world are born in the United States of America. So that means that 96% of the world's population were not born in this nation. Um, and, and I know we have our own problems, right? We, we do. Everybody does. But, but I've traveled the world, and I can tell you there is no greater place to live than right here. Uh, God has blessed us. We, we truly, you know, our, our nation was founded on Christian principles and, and um, a godly ethic. I, uh, I was at the uh, Naval War College uh, several years ago, and I was taking a class, and we were studying the, uh, the Revolutionary War, the War for Independence, and it was me and a bunch of other officers. I was the only chaplain in the room. Um, it was Marine, mainly Navy and Marines, Marine Corps officers, and um, they were talking about Washington's crossing 
and how that, you know, it was because of the, uh, the fog that covered their crossing and all these things happened and they were trying to explain it and they were trying to understand how it happened and why it happened. And finally I said, guys, I, I have an idea. And they said, what's that, chaps? You know, they'd look at me like, huh? I said, do you think it could have been divine intervention? And they looked at me like, oh my gosh, I'd never thought of that. But, but I, I really believe it was. I, I really believe that God was in, in the midst of, of the founding of this nation. And, and the reason I believe that is if you look back through history of our nation and you see God's hand in it because we became a nation that sent the gospel all over the world and continue to do that. And we should continue to do that. But as I think about all of that and, you know, you know we're patriotic people. I mean, I've got a flag on the fr front porch at my house. There's something that's even more important than that. And that is our citizenship with the Lord. Yeah, we should be uh, patriotic. We should um, be proud of the nation that we live in. But more than that, our identity should be in not the uniform some of us may wear or the nation we live in, but our identity should be in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And so as we remember today, as we think about these things, um, as, I, as I thought about what I wanted to say here this morning to you, uh, this passage that was just read this morning it kept coming to my mind. Um, and, and I hope that we can find some things some, some in this that will challenge you and I. Because today's a day of reflection in my mind. It's a day to remember, but it should be a day that we reflect on our own lives and we reflect on what God is calling each of us to do and we, we make some changes. Because I, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't arrived yet. <laughs> I, I'm not perfect. And I suspect none of y'all are either. And maybe today is a day of renewal. Maybe today for you is a day of recommitment, a day to um, set some goals, uh, maybe to, to realign yourself in your life where it should be, to get back on track from where you were. So as we pick up this story, let me kind of give you the background of what's going on. So um, <clears throat> the nation of Israel had just spent the last 40 years wandering around in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And at the end of that time, Moses had died, and God had set up this new man named Joshua as the new leader of Israel to lead them into the promised land. Chapter 1 begins with the death of Moses and God encouraging Joshua to, to be a, a strong and courageous, and he charges him as their new leader. In chapter 2 of, of, of Joshua, um, he sends out the spies into um, Jericho, and that's where they encounter this young lady named Rahab who hides them, and, and then they bring back this report that God is giving them this, this beautiful land. Chapter 3, we see that the Jordan River is overflowing its banks and that God miraculously um, cro helps them cross over the Jordan River. They follow the, um, the priests as they carry the Ark of the Covenant. And, and when they stepped into the water of the Jordan, the, the waters receded. They stopped, and they went across on dry land. And, and God gave Joshua some very specific instructions as to what to do to remember this day. Because it was a day that they needed to remember. 
And so as we pick up here again, it says in verse 19, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And they, those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Now, God had told Joshua as they were crossing over the Jordan River to go into the midst of the river and to get twelve, he got twelve men to get twelve big stones, carry them over to where they were going and where they encamped at this place called, it became Gilgal. That, that was the name it was given. Um, and they set these stones up. Now, if you've ever been in the Middle East and you've ever been to Israel or this area of the world, um, the, the stones over there are very jagged, right? Imagine what it would look like to be walking along and all these jagged rocks and stones, and all of a sudden there would be 12 very round, very smooth stones in a circle. I mean, you would immediately go, what in the world is this? What are these stones doing here? They're, they're out of place. They don't look right. They don't look like the rest of them. Um, it, something's going on here, right? That, that's, that's kind of the imagery that they had. Um, and so, number one, this, this, this area was a very strategic location for them. They were protected on their flank or from behind by the Jordan River, so they couldn't be attacked from, from behind. Um, there was planes in front of them, so no army could sneak up and attack them. They were, they were being protected by, by God at this place. Um, the, they had an abundant water source with the Jordan River. Um, it was their base of operation for some time. It's interesting when you, when you read later in the Old Testament about this place called Gilgal, and literally the Hebrew word means circle, Gilgal means circle, um, it became a very important center for the nation. Israel crowned their first king there. Um, David was welcomed back after Absalom's rebellion was subdued at Gilgal. Samuel thought it was an important place, and he had a ministry circuit that went through there. Later, there was actually a school of the prophets there in Elijah and Elisha's day. It became a very, very important place for them. Now, notice what it says in verse 21. This is the purpose of these stones. And this is what I want us to really think about for the next few minutes. He said, then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. So the purpose of these stones was a memorial. It was to remember. And so in, in, in generations to come, what he's saying is, is as you, your children see these stones sitting here, they, they are gonna, they're going to ask, what do these mean? And you tell them what God has done for you. You tell them how God um, brought you over the Jordan River. Now, when I, when I think about, uh, about this, um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> excuse me, anybody else have allergies? <laughs> I've been fighting them for a week. What kind of memorials are we setting up in our lives for our children to see? What are the things in your life that stand out that will make your children and your grandchildren look at that and say, Dad, why do you do this? Grandfather, why do you... Do you have those kind of things in your life? That your children will notice there's a difference, there's something going on here, and they will ask why, and then you can tell them what God has done for you? What things have you set up in your life that serve as a reminder to what God has done? Now, I want us to think three generationally. 
I want us to think in three generations. Uh, that's, that's kind of the model. If you look throughout the, 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 the Old and New Testament, there's always this picture of three generations. Um, for example, in Exodus 3.15, it says, Moreover, God said to, to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord, the, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Right? Three generations. Um, if you look over in um, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, um, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for your namesake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. See, three generations. We, we see this throughout scriptures, three generations. So, so what I want you to think about today is, are you impacting the next generation and the one after that? You see, the church... <laughs> isn't getting any younger. Now, Christ's church never ages, but I, I, we do, right? I mean, I look at myself in the mirror. This thing doesn't fit as good as it used to, right? <laughs> it, it, we're, we're getting older. We need to build the church younger. We need to get young people around us. We need to be mentoring them. That's a big word in the military, mentor. But we need to be mentoring the next generation and the generation after that. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you do something yourself. Oh, thank you. And then, and then you have someone watch you do it, and then you do it with them, and then you let them do it, and then you repeat. We need to be thinking three generations ahead. Because one of these days, you and I won't be here. And it's going to be the next generation and the next generation. You know, I'm going to say something you're going to, some of you are going to be like, oh no, it's not. Are you ready for this? Change is good. It is. Change is good. You know, I remember um, when I was in college, I met my wife in college at UCA, and um, we were going to a church there in Conway, and, um, you know, listened to the, the new edgy Christian music, Right? It's not new anymore. <laughs> Here, hold, hey, I, we got a song to play. play. Play that first song for a second. Let's see if you know this song. <clears throat> Some of you already know it, right? Just hear the piano playing. I'm not going to sing, I promise. Right? Okay, that's good. Do you, know how, do you know how old that song is? Take a guess. 40 years old. Yeah. Now, you, you thought you felt old. Now you really do, right? <laughs> All right, play the next one. This is one of the ones we listened to in college. Anybody know this song? I see some of you nodding your heads. All right, okay, good. You, do you know how old that song is? 26 years you were close. You were close. Good job. Good guess. 26 years old. Okay, one more. One more. Go ahead. Last one. When the music fades, Come on, sing along. You can do it. All is stripped away. And I simply come. Right? Love this song. Longing just to. Okay, that's good. Now, how old do you think that song is? 21 years old. 
21 years old. It's old enough to drink. I'm just kidding. That was a, sorry, that was a bad joke. Bad joke. Sorry. That just came out. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> 21 years old, right? Now, now, why do I do that? Why do I say that? You know, back in the day, back when we were young and you were young and you listened to those songs, those were the new popular hits, right? And, and I'm sure your parents or grandparents were like, I don't like that old music, you know? But what I want you to know is don't ruin someone else's moment with God. Don't do that. Because you don't like their music or you don't like the way they dress or you don't like fill in the blank. Now, I'm not talking about compromising truth. Truth never changes. But styles change. Styles of music change. Don't ruin someone's moment with God. Now, now I, I'm not... Now, okay, I, I'm a very emotional person. You can ask my family. I cry all the time, okay? Watch Hallmark Channel and cry. I mean... But, but I'm not real expressive in worship, okay? When we're singing, I, I'm, I'm not the one lost in the moment waving my hands. That's just not the way God made me. God created me to be uh, different, right? I'm, I'm thinking about everybody else in the room. Is the music too loud? Is it too, is it too quiet? Is the air conditioner too high? Is it too low in here? Is everything comfortable? Are we good? Right? That's, that's just the way my mind thinks. I can't help it. I can't turn it off. I don't know why. You know? Oh, he didn't switch the screen in time. You know? but, but that doesn't mean I'm not worshiping. It, it's just I'm not that expressive person. But that doesn't mean that, that I'm wrong and they're worshiping better or that they're wrong and I am. So, so don't ruin their moment with God. I, I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor many years ago in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and we had Wednesday night youth, and uh, we had a big gym, and they had all got their kids to get there and play before, you know, kicking the balls and all that, before we'd have class and everything. And there was a young lady, maybe 13 years old, I don't remember, and she was new and had just started visiting our church, and she was out there with the kids playing and kicking, and she had this really short skirt on. And I'm going, this is inappropriate. This, you know, she shouldn't be wearing it. I mean, I'm just having all these thoughts, you know. And, and I didn't say anything to her, and she ran up to me, and she said, hey, Brother Terry, I wore my best to church. Now, imagine if I would have been judgmental and condescending to her and said something to her. It would have ruined, it would have, it would have crushed her. In her mind, she had worn her best. She'd worn her best. So don't ruin somebody's moment with God because of your own traditions, your own personality. You know, every generation can't think that they are the goal. We've got to be thinking ahead. You know, Moses thought of Joshua. He appointed a new leader. The sad truth is, if you look over in the next book, in the book of Judges, they didn't do that. And it says in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10 and 11, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the works which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So they didn't do what Joshua told them to do through God, to let this be a memorial, to remind your children about what God has done for them. And we see what happened when the next generation came along. Unfortunately, this memorial at Gilgal gra gradually lost its spiritual meaning and instead became a shrine where the Jews sinned against God by worshiping there. The prophet Hosea condemned the people for worshiping at Gilgal instead of Jerusalem. 
Amos echoed his warnings by saying, Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. You see, that place that was supposed to be a memorial of what God had done became a, a, a place of idolatry because they had not been taught the true meaning of it. So what I'm challenging you and asking you to do today is to make sure that you pass on to the next generation and the generation after you the truth that Jesus Christ loves you, that he died on the cross for you, that he paid for your sins, and that if you would but trust him and put your faith in him, you can be saved and have your sins forgiven. We've got to think three generations. And the last thing I want to mention here is, is what's said in verse 24 of our text. <clears throat> he then makes this statement. He tells them what to do, tell your children, then in verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You know, there's, there's so many things that we could talk about. There's so, many, so much symbolism in this text. Um, you know, there's an old song, and I, I was mentioned to Tina on the way here this morning, um, old hymn, um, I'm just going over Jordan, I'm just going over home. And, and some people would say that, that going, when they cross the Jordan River, that, that it's a picture of, of, of us entering heaven with God. But that's not true. Because when we enter heaven with God, there's no enemies there. There's no more battles to fight. When they crossed the Jordan, they had battles to fight, right? And so what it is a picture of is the victorious Christian life. So, so something else that God told Joshua to do was not only take the 12 stones out of the center of the river and put them over there where they placed them in a circle, but also take 12 stones from the, 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 the land and put them in the center of the river. Now, why would he do that? Because you couldn't really see them, I don't think. <laughs> when the waters came back through, they were down. But it was to signify, number one, that they had crossed over to the promised land, that they couldn't go back. And, and that their, 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 their old life and their sins were gone. That's the picture. It, it's a picture of, of the Christian life. Yes, the, there's going to be battles to fight in this life. You know, they didn't cross over the Jordan River and everything was just great. And they didn't have any battles to fight. There was no enemies there. There was no trials. There was no tribulation. There was no temptation. Yes, they had those things, but God was with them. And God was leading them. And, and as long as they were faithful and did what God instructed them to do, they were blessed and, and, and they were prosperous. For you and I, the Jordan River represents that moment that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We crossed over to the other side. But then we come to this verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord. When people see you, not your family, but others, when you interact with other people, whether it's at work or just in town or at school or wherever you are, do they see a difference? The way you treat them, the way you speak. You know, we all have, uh, we all have beliefs, right? What we call convictions. Um, but the truth is, we, there's really three types of convictions. There's, there's public convictions. This is what I want everyone else to think I believe. But I really don't. You know, this is the, this is the person that acts one way at church and another way the rest of the week. This is, this is the person that, that uh, you know, puts on a front for others. 
they don't really believe what they're saying or doing or acting at that moment. They just act like it. This is the, the, what we would call the very definition of a hypocrite, right? You know, this is the kind of person when you, when you meet somebody and they're talking and, and they say, hey, do you know so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, I know him. How do you know him? Oh, we go to church together. What? He goes to church? That, that's that kind of person, right? Then there's uh, private convictions. This is what we sincerely think we believe. But when circumstances change or those beliefs are challenged, we find out we really don't believe that after all. Um, a good example of this is the disciples, uh, the night that Jesus was arrested. Um, you know, they had said many times, you know, even if we have to die, we'll, you know, we'll fight for you, right? We're, we're, we're going to fight. We're going to die with you, Jesus. You know, we're not going to let this happen. But what happened when Jesus was arrested? What did they do? They fled. Now, I'm sure when they were saying those words, they really sincerely believed it. But when they were put to the test... When the time came for that to actually happen, they all fled. That was their private conviction. But then there's this thing called core convictions, which is what we actually believe. Now, if you want to know someone's core convictions, you've got to study their actions. You want to know what someone believes about money, don't listen to what they say. Look in their checkbook, and you'll know exactly what they believe about money. If you want to know what any of us believe, look at our, core, look at our actions, and you'll see what we really believe. Now, Jesus was the only person on this earth whose public convictions, private convictions, and core convictions all matched. There was no um, difference in any of those. He was the same. No matter who he was in front of, no matter where he was at, everything was in alignment. And why, why, you say, why, am I, why are you telling me this? Well, the reason I'm telling you this is that God has placed us in this life, where you are today. You're not here by accident. You were born in this nation. You were born in, you're living in this town. He has placed you where you are for a reason. And the reason is so that you can be a missionary. So that you can share what God has done for you. So that people can know the power of God and they will see it in your life by how you live, the way you treat other people, the things you do, and you can point them to Christ. That's why I'm telling you this. And too many times, if we're not careful, we just put on a front and people see right through that. They see right through it. It's not real. It's fake. You know, <clears throat> I'm thankful that I, that I was born a, an American. I'm very thankful for that. I, I wasn't raised in church. Um, we, we were C&E members, Christmas and Easter, right? We'd go maybe twice a year. Um, I'm thankful that when I was 15, a, a friend invited me to church camp. And while I was at church camp that week, the Lord uh, spoke to me, not, not verbally, not audibly, but I, I knew that if I were to die, that I was not going to heaven because I was not saved. I had never trusted the Lord. I'd tried everything on my own, I'd, you know, whatever. And I will never forget walking down the aisle that night. It was a church camp in Oklahoma. I don't, I don't even, I just remember walking down the aisle and grabbing my youth pastor's hand and saying, I need to be saved. 
And, and, and what's funny is we still talk. He's a pastor up in uh, Springdale, and we laugh. And he said, you know, I'd about given up hope on you. <laughs> he said, you were, you were terrible. <laughs> I know it's shocking to hear, you know. No, my kids would probably tell you they were raised too much in church. You know, <laughs> being a preacher's kid, you're you know you're there a little bit, a little bit more than the others, right? I'm thankful the Lord saved me, and I I, I believe with all my heart that God's hand is still working in our lives and, and that there may be one of you out there today maybe more than one that's not maybe you've, maybe you've been putting on a show for years been, maybe you're a church member I don't know maybe you know, you've been baptized you've done all the right things you think but you know in here that you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ you've never put your faith in him And I'm just praying that you will have the courage to do that today. You see, God loves you. He loves you. And we talk about Memorial Day. We can talk about the sacrifices of those that have gone before us in this nation. Um, You know, many of us can name names. But about 2,000 years ago, there was a sacrifice made. You see, the problem is all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That's, that's all of us. Now, when you think of the word sin, that's a good Christian word, right? All that means is, is that, that this is God's standard and we don't measure up to his standard because we were born imperfect. We all tell lies. We all do things wrong. We, we all mistreat each other at times. We're sinners. And the Bible also says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So instead of God just condemning the world to hell because we sinned, we're sinners, instead of doing that, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross and to pay the ultimate price. Jesus came and he lived a sinless, perfect life, and then they crucified him. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. And it says that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So on this Memorial Day, as we remember those that sacrificed for our nation, let's also remember our Lord Jesus Christ who sacrificed for us so that we could live in eternity with him. I mean, that's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's a memorial. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I, I beg of you to do that. Just pray. And ask him to forgive you. He loves you and he wants to do that. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's about a relationship with him.